You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early in the camp beside the well of Herod, <clears throat> so that the camp of the Midianites was on the north side of them by the hill Moray in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people who are with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand, lest Israel claim glory for itself. Well, Unless Israel claim glory for itself against me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the hearing of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and afraid, let him turn and depart at once from Mount Gilead. And 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. Verse 4 says, But the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Bring them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. <clears throat> then it will be, that of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, the same shall go with you. And of whomever I say to you, this one shall not go with you, the same shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps from the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall sit apart by himself. Likewise, everyone who gets down on his knees to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, <clears throat> were 300 men. But all the rest of the people got down on their knees to drink water. Then the Lord said to Gideon, By, by the 300 men who lap, I will save you and deliver, deliver the Midianites into your hand. Let all the other people go, every man to his place. So the people took provisions and their trumpets in their hands. And he sent away all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, and retained those 300 men. Now the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. It happened on the same night that the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have delivered it into your hand. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purei, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hand shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purei, his servant, to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp, now the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east were lying in the valley as numerous as locusts, and their camels were without numbers as the sand by the seashore or in multitude. And when Gideon had come, there was a man telling a dream to his companion. He said, I have had a dream. To my surprise, a loaf of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian. It came to a tent and struck it so that it fell and overturned and the tent collapsed. Verse 14 says, Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the, word, but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hand God has delivered Midian and the whole camp. And so it was when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation that he worshipped. He returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered the camp of Midian into, into your hands. He divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand and an empty pitch, with empty pitchers and torches inside the pitchers. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. Watch, and when I come to the edge of the camp, 
you shall do as I do. When I blow my trumpet, I and all who are with me, then you also blow the trumpet on every side of the whole camp and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outpost of the camp at the beginning of the middle of the watch, just as they had posted the watch. He, and they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew their trumpets and broke, broke the pitchers. They held the torches in their left hand and the trumpets in their right hand for blowing, and they cried, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And every man stood in his place all around the camp, and the whole army ran and cried out and fled. When the 300, when the 300 blew the trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his companion throughout the whole camp. Now, I could not leave you with not knowing the rest of the story. We, most of us in here, maybe everyone in here has, has read this story, know this story. But if you're like me, when you, when you go through it again, you remember some of the things that you've forgotten or you see some things that you overlooked. But today, <clears throat> we are going to focus more on chapter 6, verse 11 through 24. We, uh, the, the book of Judges begins with these words in chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. It says, When all the generation had been gathered to their fathers, Another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord, nor the works which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and, the, and forsook the Lord God their, of their fathers. So that's how the book of Judges begins. A generation dies off, a new generation comes on the scene, and according to the Bible, they did not know God like their previous generation. They did not know what he had done. The, and if you think about it, whose, whose fault was that? You don't have to answer that. But it lay mostly on the, the parents, the, the generation before. They didn't pass it along. Or maybe that new generation just didn't listen. It doesn't matter whose fault it was. You have a generation coming up, did not know God, have not, had not seen God work his miracles. And if you know the book of Judges, you know the cycle. Israel does evil in the sight of God. God delivers them over to the enemy. Uh, they eventually cry out to God for help. God sends a deliverer to deliver them and judge them. And then it starts all over again. Thirteen judges, counting Samuel. Thirteen times the book of Judges tells us how Israel went on this roller coaster ride, high and low, low being in the valley of, when they're in their sin, of course. How many of you know that that's an exact picture of us? Amen. Of me, I will confess for sure. I'm exactly like Israel. And, it, and it, bothered, it should bother me because I can read judges and say to myself, how can they do that? How can they turn their back on God? When after what he's done for them, we do the same thing. We even have it better than they. They didn't have this book. And we still turn our back on him. <clears throat> but that's not what we're going to talk about today. I hope that today's message is an encouragement to you. We're going to look at three different or four different things real quick. I had, I had all this scripture read for us because I don't think I'm going to be very long. 
four different things. First thing is Gideon, well, no, first thing is we're going to look at the Lord's presence, the Christophany, uh, uh, the pre-carnate appearance of Christ. We're going to look at that a little bit. Then we're going to look at Gideon's opinion of Gideon. And then we're going to look at God's opinion of Gideon. And lastly, real simple, the, the results of obedience to God. <clears throat> wonderful story. Wonderful, wonderful story. Remember, while we talk about Gideon, that Gideon was the son of an idol worshiper. More than likely, it doesn't say, but more than likely an idol worshiper himself. His father had an altar to Baal and an image pole, a, 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 an image there beside it. So remember that while, as, we, as we look. But first of all, let's look at the Lord's presence. It starts off with, verse 11, Now the angel of the Lord, now most, most of your translation has the Lord with all cap letters, right? The angel of the Lord. It's the same as it was with Abraham when three men visited him before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, before our, our, or at the promise of the child Isaac. If you remember, three men showed up. <clears throat> and also Abraham did more or less the same thing Gideon did. Kind of said, wait, wait right here. I'm going to go prepare a sacrifice for you. Have you ever thought about that? It says Gideon went and prepared a goat, a kid goat, and bread. Now, those of you who cook know that that took a while. It's just kind of interesting to me how, how that played out. But anyway, Abraham saw Christ before he was flesh on this earth. Hagar saw Christ when she was running from Sarah. <coughs> After she had conceived, Sarah was pretty mean to her. She ran away. God found her. She's seen him. She spoke with him. And he promised her there also that, that the descendants of Ishmael, the son that she was about to have, would be numerous. <clears throat> this one I love. Balaam's donkey saw Christ. If you, know that, if you know that story, it says the same thing. The angel of the Lord, the Lord being capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Balaam's donkey saw Christ. Y'all know that story? Balaam was headed to, to talk to Barak, I think it was his name, and his donkey runs him into the wall, runs, runs his leg into the wall, and he, he, he gets on to him, of course, and the next thing you know, his donkey lays down under him, and he's mad then. It says Balaam hits the donkey, and the donkey opens his mouth and speaks, why are you hitting me? I've been, I've been faithful to you. Anyway, Balaam's donkey saw the, the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn. Next, Balaam himself saw it. After God opened his eyes, he saw this angel of the Lord, Christ himself, with his sword drawn. And he bowed his head and fell flat of his face, the Bible says. You know, that's, that's one, of the, one of the telltale signs in the Bible when you're reading and you, and you come across somebody falling on their face worshiping God and, some, and if somebody doesn't pick them up it's, it's God that they're worshiping but Gideon Gideon here sees the Lord the angel of the Lord now let's see six times 
in, in verses 11 through 24, six times it's, he, it, it refers to Christ as the angel of the Lord. One time it refers to him as the angel of God. And then eight times it simply says the Lord says. So we know it was Christ. Christ talking to, to Gideon. Now, let's get to Gideon's opinion of Gideon. I love this. <clears throat> it says in uh, chapter 6, verse 3 through 6, uh, Mickey read it, but I'm going to read it again. So it was, whenever, this is after God delivered them into the hands of the Midianites, so it was, whenever Israel had sown, Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them, <clears throat> then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming, out of the, coming in as numerous as the locusts, both they and their camels were without numbers, and they would enter the land to destroy it. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So these, this nation, God's chosen people, were in a bad way. Try to imagine if you, if uh, we didn't have grocery stores, just kind of like it was, I don't know, 40 years ago when, when they grew their food. They depended on what they grew to eat. That's what it was. They would sow their crops. And then these Midianites and the Amalekites and the other people would come in about the time the crops would get ready. They would take everything leave nothing for Israel. So Israel was in a bad way. They were impoverished, greatly impoverished. So keep that in mind as we look at Gideon's opinion of himself. First thing he thought of himself, he, he was fearful. He was fearful. We see him in a wine press. Threshing the wheat. You know, I have had the privilege. How many, how many of you have had the privilege of seeing, you know, what minnowing, minnowing wheat is when you toss the wheat up in the air and the, the, the chaff floats away and the seed comes down to the ground? How many of you have actually seen that in person? It's pretty interesting. I've got to see that the last time I was in uh, Tanzania. It's all along the side of the road. They had big old tarps laid out and, and uh, wheat or whatever kind of grain laid there. But I actually seen them tossing it up. The wind blew up, blew the trash away, and the, and the clean seed fell down. But this is what Gideon was doing, but in a small uh, portion. He was in a wine press. Now, I don't know exactly what their wine press looked like, but the first thing that comes to my mind is some kind of round bat where they stomp grapes. Is what, that's what comes to my mind. But it was small compared to what they normally did at the threshing floor. He was fearful he was trying to preserve as much food for him and his family as possible. Fearful. Uh, they were in serious distress to get a small amount of grain before the Midianites took it would be a great victory for him and his family. You could look at his fearfulness as his faith being small. Could be. But in the back of my mind, I see the Midianites bearing down on the nation. They were fearful. Yeah, his faith might have been small. His faith might have been uh, smaller than normal. How many of you know when things aren't going great, sometimes your faith isn't where it needs to be? 
That's, that might be where Gideon was. Nevertheless, he was fearful. The second thing about Gideon's opinion of Gideon is that it says he was weak. He says, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. Now, Manasseh was one of the 12 tribes, one of the 12 sons of Jacob. And he claims that his clan, his family, was weak. Sometimes when we are oppressed, we do get the feeling of weakness. Sometimes, well, I'll save that for later. Anyway, he was weak. Lastly, he saw himself as little. He said, my family, I am the least of my family's house. So he was fearful. He was weak. He was small. That was his opinion of himself. Now, how many of you know that that opinion of yourself can get there pretty easy. If you, if you remember uh, in, in uh, 1 Samuel, the first king of Israel, King Saul, said kind of the same thing when Saul approached him. He said in 1 Samuel 9, 21, Am I not a Benjamin, Benjaminite, Benjam, Benjamite excuse me, of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then do you speak to me like this? Samuel had approached him let him know that he was uh, not just an ordinary man. He was, God had picked him out, and that's what Samuel said of himself. Gideon's response could be humility. Could be humility. But I think in his situation, he was fearful, he was weak in his eyes, and he was little. You know who loves for us to get that thought of ourselves in our mind? Satan loves nothing better for you to think that you're weak, that you're little, and that you're fearful and insignificant. That's where he wants us. That's where he wants you. What happens when we think, think of ourselves that way? We do nothing usually for God anyway. He tried to do the same. Think about Christ when he was tempted in the wilderness. What did Satan say? Two of the two or three times he said, if you are the Son of God, do this or that. If you are, putting, trying to put doubt there, right? He does the same to us. He did the same with Moses. What did Moses say when, he, when God said, you go and deliver Israel? Who am I? That's what he said. Who am I that I should go to the Pharaoh? How many of us ever thought that thing? Who am I? Who am I that God would love me? Who am I that God would use me? Who am I that God even cares? And who am I that God would save me? Know for sure that when you think that about yourself, it's not God, it's Satan. He wants you to think lowly of yourself so that you do nothing, like kind of like Gideon was doing, hiding. He will drag up your sin from the past and shove it in your face, and the first thing you say is, well, I'm not even worthy to talk about God. I'm not even worthy to be here. And we're not, but because of God's righteousness and what he did for us, we are. We can be. We can be bold. He can even use what was, what was going on with the nation of Israel. They were being chastised, wasn't they? As uh, 
Was it you, Mickey, that said God loves you and he loves you so much that he chastises you when you do wrong? That's what a good father does. They were being chastised. Satan can even use that to bring you to think lowly of yourself. I know he does. He does me pretty regularly. Sad to say. He uses whatever is available to him against us to make us feel fearful, weak, and small. I just deleted something. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Satan wants us to feel helpless. He wants us to think that we aren't worthy to do what God wants us to do. God's opinion of us is different, right? Look at what God, God's opinion of Gideon. Three different times, God describes Gideon completely different from the way Gideon feels. First one, he says, mighty man of valor. Here Gideon is, crouched down in this wine press, hiding, fearful, and God shows up and says, you mighty man of valor. Now, what does valor mean? It means great courage in the face of danger, especially in battle. You mighty warrior. That's what God thought of, of uh, Gideon. Mighty man of great courage. Secondly, in verse 14, he calls him the Savior of Israel. He says in verse 14, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Has God ever told you to do something? Not audibly. Have you ever known in your heart that God wanted you to do something? What's the first feeling that come up after that? Ah, I can't do that. That's Satan. You can with his, his help. And that's what he says. He says, I, uh, or he later says that he will be with him. But he says, have I not sent you? If God has a mission for you, it's going to work out. It's going to work out if, you're, if we are obedient to his call, to his will. It's going to work out, and it's going to bring him glory. He always wins. Thirdly, he says he's going to be the conqueror of the Midianites. Verse 16, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. In other words, Gideon, you go do this, and it's going to be like you're fighting one man instead of an army. You're going to whoop them like it's just one man. Completely different from what Gideon thought of himself. If you are a child of God, if you have placed your faith and trust in Christ, confessed your sins, repented of your sins, and called out to God to ask him to save you, you are a child of God. He loves you. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to be this mighty man for him. And he promises us over and over again, surely I will be with you. There's nothing, nothing too big for God and you. For God mainly, but all you have to do is be obedient, right? All he wants is a willing, obedient servant. The results of obedience is simple. It's simple. He rounded up 32,000 men, which is a pretty good plan. 
God says, ah, that's too many. So, so 22,000 left. Still too many. He tested them again. 300's left. He says, by these 300, I will use you to defeat the Midianites. You, you remember what it said his reasoning for, was for de decreasing the number? And he was right. He said, if I let you go do this, you're going to say, oh, look what I've done. Look what I've done. And that's what sometimes we think too, but we had to remember that our salvation is only from him. When we do what God says, he will have the victory through us as he did with Gideon. <clears throat> because Gideon finally did what God told him, and I didn't even touch on that, the, the, three, the three times Gideon says, okay, God, don't be mad, but just show me a miracle. Make, make, give me some assurance that it is you. Give me some assurance that you are going to go with me. We saw the, uh, he, the fire come out of the rock. We saw the fleece wet, and then we saw it dry. Finally, Gideon, and then, and then, and then he happens upon the camp. A dream is told, an interpretation is told. Kind of, kind of, kind of strange again, but that gives Gideon the courage. Gideon has the victory. Israel is delivered. God is glorified. That's the end of all of God's plans. It always works out. He always gets the glory. So, so what? So what? What? That's, that's kind of what we're supposed to do when we read Scripture. We read Scripture and then say, so what? How does that apply to me? What is your opinion of yourself? Please don't answer. What is your opinion of yourself? Are you a child of God or are you cowering under the, the false hood of what Satan tells you? If you're a child of God, you know that you have that power in you. You know that God's on your side. If you're a child of God, Ephesians 1, I'm going to read here in a minute, describes you. The next time you get down on yourself, break out your Bible and read Ephesians 1. So, what's your opinion of yourself? What's God's opinion? Are you a victor or are you defeated? Are you an enemy or are you his friend? Are you guilty or are you redeemed? Ephesians 1, turn there if you want to. I think Riley will probably have it up on the screen. Next time you get down on yourself, next time Satan has you down, turn here. If you are his, read verses 3 through 6 at least, or 7. Let's go through 7. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, here's one thing for you, has blessed us, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, he's, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him, in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, and forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 
We've been blessed. We've been chosen. We've been adopted. We've been accepted. We've been redeemed. There is no reason why you or I should hold our head low other than our own sin. But the Bible says confess your sin. He's faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Believe that. Confess it and believe that he has forgiven you and move on. Go do what he wants you to do. Don't let Satan drag you down. 1 Peter 5, 8, we'll end here. Brother uh, Jack, forgot your name. Come, y'all come ahead. I'm going to read verse, uh, 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9. Love these verses. It says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. <clears throat> Sometimes, God chastens us. He does it because of our sin. We should even thank him for that. Because he loves us so much, he doesn't want to leave us there. So get out of that sin. Confess it. Go on with your life and do something that God wants you to do and glorify him.